welcome to the State of Florida Sports Podcast, presented by the USA Today Network. Here's your host, Tim Walters. If you would have looked at Florida's three NFL teams just six weeks ago, the Miami Dolphins easily would have been the team that seemed to be the biggest lock to make the playoffs. The Dolphins were 8-3, winners of five in a row, and vying for the top spot in the AFC East. Tampa Bay was 5-6 and six and struggling to stay on top of the lackluster NFC South. And the Jacksonville Jaguars were 4-7 and seven and three games out of first place in the AFC South. In the time since, the football world in the state has been turned upside down. The Dolphins lost five of their last six games, barely squeezing into the playoffs as a wildcard team. The Buccaneers won three of their next five games and clinched the NFC South in Week 17. They lost their final game in Week 18. And the Jaguars won their final five games, with the Titans losing seven in a row, giving the Jaguars the AFC South crown and a home playoff game. It's the first time since the 1999 season that all three teams made the playoffs. To say the NFL is unpredictable is an understatement. Today, I welcome in three journalists to discuss each team's playoffs journey. Hello again, everybody. I'm Tim Walters, and thank you once again for joining me on the State of Florida Sports Podcast, powered by the USA Today Network. This podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. Our Florida Network consists of 17 news sites that encompass the state. We encourage you to subscribe to your hometown newspaper. And of course, this podcast to help support the incredible journalism done by our talented staffs. Today, I'll be utilizing three members of those talented staffs. Joe Shad of the Palm Beach Post has covered the Miami Dolphins for years. He hasn't seen the team hyped as much as it was earlier in the season, only to see a late season collapse. Luke Easterling covers the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for USA Today and BucksWire.com and is a frequent guest on the podcast. And Demetrius Harvey covers the Jaguars for the Florida Times Union in Jacksonville. He was just with us last week as the Jags fought to make the playoffs, and now he's back to talk about their first playoff game in five years. So let's get right down to it, and we'll start with Joe. Joe, welcome back to the podcast. What's up, Tim? Hey, before we start even getting into the game or anything, if we would have had this discussion last week, would you have thought that the Dolphins would have made it, or do you think they would have been left for the scrap heap? I did think that the Dolphins were going to make the playoffs. I thought that they would uh, beat the Jets, especially once I found out that Joe Flacco was starting for them. I thought Skylar Thompson would be fine, and he was with no turnovers. The the Jets didn't have anything to play for. I certainly thought that playing inspired football for DeMar Hamlin, that the Bills would uh, defeat the Patriots, and, and they did handily. Yeah, that was something, the start of that game with the kickoff return for the touchdown. But, you know, when you look at the uh, the Dolphins-Jets and, you know, one of the weirder things, you mentioned Joe Flacco starting for the Jets. He started game or week one and week 18 for the Jets, but he didn't start most of the games in between. So that was a little odd to see. But, you know, Skylar Thompson, he did just enough to win. Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert had about 70 yards each. So they ran well against a good defense. What was the big takeaway from that victory yesterday, is is any type of confidence growing in Thompson? Are they going to try and run it more against the Bills? So, you know, what do you take away from Sunday's game? Well, yeah, I mean, the Dolphins want to run it, and to have a chance to win at Buffalo, they're going to have to run it. Uh, it's a good thing they acquired Jeff Wilson via trade from the 49ers because Raheem Mostert 
reportedly has a broken thumb, and so it's going to be pretty hard to carry the ball with a broken thumb. And that's a shame because Mostert has really given them some inspired running in recent weeks, uh, very physical, uh, you know, breaking tackles, the kinds of runs we really haven't seen since the Dolphins' playoff run with Jay Jai in 2016. Uh, but, you know, Thompson is a, uh, you know, solid player. He's a worthwhile developmental project. It's obviously unfortunate that the Dolphins have to roll him out in these huge situations, uh, a must-win game against the Jets and then a playoff game at Buffalo. I mean, there's a reason that the Dolphins are underdogs by 10 and a half or more points, depending on which uh, line is your favorite. Uh, but, you know, listen, Thompson does have some mobility and he has a strong arm. Well, let's recap the first two meetings before we talk about this week's game. The first time they played, it was week three. It was about 134 degrees in Miami. Stefan Diggs said that he was going to pass out from the heat. It was a super close game. Tua had an okay game that time with 186 yards and a touchdown. The departed Chase Edmonds led all rushers on the Dolphins with 21 yards, but he had two touchdowns. Meanwhile, Josh Allen threw for 400 yards, two touchdowns, yet the Bills only managed 19 points, and of course you had the butt punt in that game. In round two, the Dolphins almost posted a big second half comeback, and maybe they just took a half to warm up because that was a freezing game, the total opposite of Miami. Tua had 234 yards, two touchdowns, and Raheem Mostert had 136 yards rushing in that game. And Allen, of course, was great with 304 yards and four touchdowns. So when you look at round three, once again, up in Buffalo, in the cold, how do you see this one playing out? I mean, it's really difficult to envision the Dolphins winning the playoff game in Buffalo. I mean, just getting to the playoffs is an achievement. Uh, but it is a, a little bit of a break that the Dolphins at least face a team with which they have great familiarity. Uh, you know, they did at least play reasonably well in both of the previous matchups. So they will, by the time the ball kicks off, believe they have an opportunity to win. Whether or not that's true, I, I don't know. I mean, Josh Allen has basically averaged three or four touchdowns every single time these teams have met. Stephon Diggs is a very difficult cover for Xavier Howard, who's been banged up and not very good all season. The Dolphins are just decimated by injury. Uh, you know, they're, they're t- completely depleted at, at offensive tackle. They're banged up at running back, corner, uh, defensive line. I mean, this is just, uh, it's really tough. But um, I just hope it's not ugly. Yeah, how do you think the weather is going to affect things, or do you think at this point it doesn't matter? It looks like it's going to be about in the mid-20s when they play. Yeah, I mean, the Dolphins are used to it. Uh, You know, I I have a winter coat. I'm sure they do too. I'm sure they'll have the heated benches and the ski caps, and they they know what to do with the long johns and the Vaseline on the arms, anything to keep their bodies warm. Um, So, you know, I don't think it'll play a huge factor unless there's extraordinary wind uh, and or snow, and at the moment, we're not seeing that. It, because of the adversity the teams had to deal with at the quarterback position there, it's kind of hard to say during the five-game losing streak before they win on Sunday, you know, how the defense is playing. So, you know, they, they only give up, uh, what was it, three points on, on Sunday. So, how, how do you, or six points, I'm sorry. How do, you, uh, how do you assess the Dolphins' play over the last six weeks? Well, the defense, yeah, I mean, the defensive coordinator, Josh Boyer, his job is in jeopardy, and he knows it based on our last conversation with him. Uh, the defense is underperformed overall. You look at outstanding individual performances from players like uh, Christian Wilkins and Jalen Phillips, 
uh, you know, to have the defense perform in terms of points per game, yards per game, turnovers, third down defense. Even Joe Flacco was successful on third down. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, so, you know, again, a group decimated by injuries, uh, Emmanuel Ogba, Byron Jones, Brandon Jones, and others. Uh, but, um, you know, yeah, I mean, listen, they, they gave up a long drive to Joe Flacco that allowed the game to be tied at six, uh, but at least they didn't give up a touchdown to a Jets team that I don't believe has scored a touchdown in his last three games. Yeah, the Jets' offense has been just plain bad. So have to see what happens with them next year as Joe Flacco, Zach Wilson, Mike White, you know, who knows what's going on there. But, you know, as for the Dolphins, one of the things you don't really think about when you think of special teams is just, you know, stopping a guy from scoring touchdowns constantly. But Naheem Hines scored two on Sunday. How good are these uh, Dolphins special teams at at stopping that type of thing? Because, uh, you know, that guy, ever since he's been acquired from the Colts, you thought he might be able to help their run game, but he's really been more of a game-breaker for them on special teams more than just on Sunday. Yeah, the Dolphins special team coach is Danny Crossman, who used to be uh, the, the Bills special teams coach, and it's been an absolutely atrocious, uh, embarrassing, humiliating year for the Dolphins on special teams. Jason Sanders did at least make a critical field goal, of course, to, to win the game for the Dolphins the other day, but uh, prior to that, Prior to uh, Sunday's game, the Dolphins had the second worst field goal percentage in the NFL over the last two years. This year, they're one of the worst in the league at punt return, kick return, punt coverage, and kick coverage. So they're just horrible. Uh, and it doesn't make any sense because they have some you know, players who are specifically played, paid to be effective special teams players. So Crossman is another guy whose job is in jeopardy. And uh, you know, I was glad to see Tyreek Hill actually run back there and try to return a punt. I suggested to him last week that he just just go out there and just no matter, you know, just say I got it, even if that's not the plan. And uh, I don't know if that's what happened, but he did, you know, he did not return a punt, but he was at least on the field for a punt return. It's kind of weird. Jalen Waddell and Tyree Kill, two of the most explosive returners in history, and neither one has been utilized in that capacity throughout the year. I'm assuming it's to protect them from injury, but, you know, it's been so pathetic that you would think maybe, maybe in the postseason, you know, maybe, maybe on Sunday they give uh, Tyreek, depending on how he's feeling. I mean, he and Jalen both do have ankle, ankle injuries now. Yeah, and I know you wrote about that recently about having Tyreek Hill possibly return kicks. So, you know, definitely check out all of Joe's work at palmbeachpost.com. Now, Joe, right now, as I mentioned in the intro, we have all three teams from the state of Florida in the playoffs, but certainly none of the three looking spectacular, maybe the Jaguars being the hottest of the three. But if you look at them hosting an AFC South game, the Buccaneers hosting an NFC South game, and the Dolphins going up to the cold north of Buffalo, whose chances do you like best out of the three teams this upcoming Saturday and Sunday? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would say the Jaguars. Jaguars fans were very mad at me. Uh, it wasn't a specific shot at them, but earlier in the year when they and the Bucks had losing records and were poised to win their divisions, which they eventually did do. I said that I thought that the NFL should change the rule so that the division winner with the fourth best record is not guaranteed a home playoff game. I think it's kind of lame, uh, to be honest, that, for example, the Bucks get to host the, the Cowboys uh, when clearly, you know, the Bucks are, are not that good and, uh, and they have a much worse record. 
And so, you know, kudos to the Jaguars for at least finishing strong. Clearly, uh, they're much better off with Doug Peterson than they were with Urban Meyer. Clearly, Trevor Lawrence is uh, you know, starting to live up to his draft status. Um, it's interesting to see all these really young, exciting, uh, you know, 20 something year old quarterbacks, especially in the AFC. But uh, to answer your question, I mean, I, I suppose um, I suppose that, uh, you know, the Jaguars would uh, would have the best chance, especially uh, with the Chargers having some key injuries. For some reason, Joey Bosa and Mike Williams were playing in a game on Sunday in which the Chargers were already locked into their playoff position. That makes no sense. And now both players were injured. And Justin Herbert, as much as I love his extraordinary physical tools, he's the kind of guy who could throw a couple of huge, terrible interceptions. Yeah, definitely. And uh, he actually ended up being second in the league in passing yards. He just barely overtook Tom Brady late in that game last night. Uh, for that second spot behind Patrick Mahomes. But, you know, I think Jaguars fans become Dolphins fans because if the Dolphins somehow upset the Bills and if the Jaguars win, then it would be the Dolphins, I believe, that would get the Chiefs instead of the Jaguars. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how all of that shakes out. But you mentioned the Dolphins being double-digit underdogs there against the Bills. If you were, you know, taking this as an over-under, would you, because it sounds like you already have picked the Bills to win, would you take the Dolphins possibly to cover the spread? Uh, I mean, not if uh, Tua Tungavello is not playing. Uh, If Tua somehow unexpectedly and miraculously is cleared to play, uh, then I'll consider it uh, because, you know, the Dolphins have had some big plays with two to Tyreek and two to Jalen against the bills. Um, it's just, they're just, it's just really hard to envision them beating the bills with either uh, a, a seventh round rookie scholar Thompson, a guy with a broken finger or dislocated finger and Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, or I don't know, I guess Mike Glennon is, is, is an option in an emergency. Good grief. Well, yeah, you know, I honestly, I didn't ask you about Tua just assuming he probably wouldn't play. Is there a chance they could try and clear him this week? I mean, it certainly seems unlikely. Uh, head coach Mike McDaniel referenced uh, in his post-game press conference that he wasn't going to get into any speculation about whether Tua would play uh, again this year or next year. Now, I, I don't, I'm not suggesting that he was implying that Tua wouldn't be available to play next year. I guess just the fact that he used the words next year leads me to believe that, you know, maybe they don't have a great deal of confidence in him returning. I, I just, listen, you can never rule it out, but it seems to me to be unlikely, but we'll see. Yeah, well, that's going to definitely be a big story this offseason to see what the Dolphins are going to do about their future at quarterback there. But for now, they at least have one more game. It's against the Buffalo Bills up there in Buffalo. Joe, is there anything else you want to add about this game before I let you go? No, it's just that I'm looking forward to uh, going back to Buffalo. I feel better prepared. I lost the keys to my car rental the last time I was there, <laughs> uh, and that, that caused a big uh, big problem. They had to tow my car out of the parking lot. So, And also I had a hard time getting around the police blockades to, uh, to get into the stadium. So I feel like I get a little bit of a do-over, and uh, you know, I guess you could say the Dolphins do too. Well, I'll be up there in Jacksonville where it should be a beautiful 50, 55 degrees. So I'll be thinking of you as you're freezing up there. (laughs) It's not that bad in the press box. 
<laughs> there you go. Well, Joe, I appreciate it as always. Again, palmbeachpost.com, and we look forward to following along with you on this uh, on Sunday when the Dolphins play the Bills. Thanks, bud. Luke, thanks for joining me yet again on the podcast. Hey, it's my pleasure, Tim. We always have a good time, don't we? Absolutely, and this time we're going to be talking some playoffs. All three teams in the state of Florida making it, which is just incredible. But let's look at the Bucks first. The team that clinched their division first, yet they're, they're just not that great a team. They lost their last game of the season yesterday. Brady played a little bit more than half a game. But, you know, as they struggle along, they're in the NFC South. So what do you think of this team right now as they get ready to play the Cowboys, a team that they did beat earlier in the season? And we'll talk about that game in a minute. But what do you think of this Bucks team right now as they head into the playoffs? I mean, I, I wish I could tell you what to think, Tim. I, I, I don't know that we know much about what this team is capable of right now. There's been, you know, small stretches where they looked like, you know, a Super Bowl caliber team. I think that game they played against Dallas, even with their offensive struggles, the defense played so well. And we've seen some of that this year. I think maybe the best we've seen from this team was that first half against Cincinnati, right? A, a few weeks ago where they're up 17 to nothing uh, late in that first half and, and were just dominating on defense against one of the most explosive offenses in the league. They were making big plays and finding the end zone instead of settling for field goals on offense. And, and it was just, you know, that's what I think all the Bucks fans were waiting to see that type of performance from this team. Obviously, it was only a half and they lost that game to the Bengals. Um, you know, you saw the second half against Carolina, which was really nice. And you saw the explosive plays between Brady and, and Mike Evans. Finally, you know, they've had some, they've had four double digit fourth quarter comeback wins this season, but they were all against really bad teams, Tim. So it's really hard to, to be even excited about those because they played really poorly against those bad teams for 3.9 quarters and just happened to make it happen at the end, mostly because they have the greatest quarterback of all time. So you know, I, I don't know that we know much about this team. They're, they're, you know, some key players that they need to get healthy this week. Uh, and obviously having a Monday night game that extra day will, will help with that. But still just way too many question marks with this team on both sides of the ball, even the coaching and some of the decisions we've seen this year. I really don't know that we still at this point know who the 2022-2023 Buccaneers are at all. Yeah, you know, let's talk about that first time that they played in week one because I mean, look, I know Dak Prescott got injured, but that happened in the fourth quarter. So Dallas got out to a 3-0 lead, and then the Bucks run off 19 consecutive points. The defense shuts them down. So what has been the main difference from then to now? And, you know, how do you like them matching up against the Cowboys this weekend? Well, I think, honestly, most the defense has struggled because of injuries, and the defense has struggled because the offense has struggled. And, you know, we, we hear players talk and coaches talk all year about complementary football, right, to the point where it becomes a cliche. But the, the, the Buccaneers season has been a prime example of what happens when you don't play complementary football because there's been so many games for the Bucs this season where you've had the offense just can't move the ball and can't score. And you've got the defense, even when they've been healthy, you know, making stops and making stops. And if you do that for three quarters, three and a half quarters, eventually, if the offense just can't sustain drives and they're putting the defense out on the field over and over and over again with three and outs and forcing them to be out on the field way more than they should, eventually you get to the fourth quarter, you're exhausted. You break down. You you miss tackles. You miss assignments. You're miscommunicating because you're tired because you've been on the field all game long. And a part of it is morale. As much as 
they probably won't admit it on any team, but players, when, when the other side of the ball isn't pulling their weight, it's, it's frustrating. It's demoralizing when you're going out there and handling your job and you're getting off the field on third downs and you're making big plays and sacks and takeaways and those sorts of things. And then you give it to Tom Brady and this talented offense and they can't move the chains. They can't get first downs. They can't score touchdowns in the red zone and they're settling for field goals over and over. It's frustrating that everybody's not keep, you know, pulling their side of the bargain. So I think that's what's happened when the Bucks have 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 lost this season. It's been because the defense just finally gets worn down late in these games and can't keep up with an offense that just can't score points. Again, the, the Bucks were one of the worst teams in the league in terms of scoring points this year after averaging 30 points a game for the last two seasons. So, you know, whatever the reasons are, the the coaching, the scheme, the play calling, the offensive line injuries, whatever, I think it really has has come back to haunt the defense in particular. Um, and, and it's just, that's been the story of the Bucks team this year is that they just haven't been very good at playing complimentary football to the point where the defense's efforts have, have not been enough late in games because they're too tired and the offense just hasn't been good enough at all. Yeah. It's insane. When you look at Tom Brady's numbers to think of, you know, them only averaging, what is it? 18 or 19 points a game. He set an all time NFL completion record this year with 490 completions he was third in the league in passing with 4,694 yards, and he really would have been second had he played the whole game yesterday. And now he's heading into his 48th playoff spot, adding to a record he's owned for a long time. And if you're wondering, Jerry Rice is next at 29 starts, so I don't think he'll be getting 19 or 20 more. So when you look at Brady, and you mentioned frustration, we've seen him frustrated this year. You know, how, and also uh, one other key fact is this is the first time he's actually had a losing record as a starting quarterback. So it took him until age 45 to go eight and nine or worse, given that he's been nine and seven or better. It's just insane to look at those numbers and think that this is an eight and nine team. So how has Brady been able to navigate this? Because we have seen him as frustrated and angry as we've seen him in many games. I mean, I, I don't I don't know how he's navigated it except for the fact that he's always done it, right? I mean, he's had adversity in the past. He's had teams that weren't as talented. He's had injuries that he's had to overcome and play through. So I, I think for him, you know, he's the he's the GOAT for a reason, right? He's the greatest of all time because I think not necessarily his physical ability, but his commitment to to excellence in every way, down to the way obviously his, you know, T B twelve, the lifestyle stuff and how, you know, his training regimen and how he's been able to keep himself you know durable and healthy for this this long of a career is ridiculous but I think that's a mental thing too and I think that's really been vital to this team being able to push through all that adversity yeah they have a losing record and the season didn't go as well as they wanted to but whether they were 13 and 4 or 8 and 9 they still won the division this year just like they did last year they still have a home playoff game and they're the four seed instead of the two seed which they were last year and that didn't do them much good when they lost to the Rams at home. So, you know, you just, you look at it and say, even with all the problems that this team has had to overcome, they still have everything ahead of them. They won their division. They got a home playoff game. They're the number four seed. They still, everything's back to zero now. So if anything, I think if, if you're Tom Brady, you're looking at it and saying, huh, nobody's ever won the Super Bowl with a losing record in the regular season. Why don't I add that to my list of things that are just ridiculous about my career? Uh, and I think nobody would be surprised if he did. Ah, so are you saying he's done that on purpose, losing yesterday, so he could add another ridiculous record? I don't think it's ever going to be in Tom Brady to uh, to lose on purpose for any reason. <laughs> I think that's why he played it all on Sunday was because he just couldn't stomach the idea of not going out there and competing at least for a little while. So, 
Uh, I don't think he'll ever lose on purpose, but I, I don't think I think he'll get a good laugh out of it if he gets a, a Super Bowl as the only ever quarterback to do it after having a losing record. I think he'll get a good laugh. Hey, you know, he was one of only 10 quarterbacks this year that started all 17 games at 45 years old. That is just absolutely ridiculous and incredible. But who is a player on the Bucks not named Tom Brady or Mike Evans that absolutely needs to step up this weekend when they or it's Monday, actually, when they play the Dallas Cowboys? You know, I'll, I'll give you one on each side of the ball, if you don't mind. I think on defense, it's got to be Anthony Nelson. This is a guy who has stepped up in a big way since they lost Shaq Barrett to the torn uh, Achilles earlier in the season. Anthony Nelson has five and a half sacks, which is not a lot if you're Shaq Barrett, but it's a lot if you're a backup who's been thrust into a starting role. More importantly, some of those sacks have been really, really clutch, right? In the last two wins, the Arizona comeback win and the Carolina comeback win that they needed to have, both of those wins to clinch the, the NFC South the way they did, and Nelson had a strip sack late in both of those games that helped secure that win and, and allow that, that comeback. So he's making big plays. He's a free agent after this season, too, so he's making himself a lot of money. The Bucs are going to need more big plays from him because, again, Shaq Barrett's out for the season. They are going to need that that type of presence in the pass rush to step up. Uh, and on offense, I think it's Russell Gage. Um, you know, this is a wide receiver they gave a three-year, $30 million contract to in free agency and, and, you know, Mike Evans, obviously future Hall of Famer. You got Chris Godwin, the, the pro bowler in the slot. Russell Gage was paid in the offseason to be that number three guy. Antonio Brown's gone. They don't have that third target. He's been injured for basically since training camp for most of the year. He got a hamstring injury that he just couldn't get over in training camp. So it's taken the entire season basically for him to get fully healthy and to develop some chemistry with Tom Brady now that he's healthy. And he ended up ending the season with five touchdown catches, which is second on the team. So I think that third wide receiver spot is going to be key. If he's healthy, we've seen what he can do while opposing defenses are focused on trying to stop Brady, trying to stop Evans and Godwin and, and even Fournette and Rashad White in the backfield. I think if, if, if Russell Gage can live up to that $10 million a year price tag now that he's fully healthy and he's built some rapport with Brady now over the last few weeks – that could be a huge X factor for this offense in the playoffs. Yeah, certainly. And, of course, on the other side of the ball, you're looking at Dallas, and they've got a heck of a running game. You know, Dak Prescott, I, I guess you're, you're going to have to hope maybe that uh, he's the one that maybe makes a mistake kind of like he did against the Jaguars because Pollard's been good all year and Ezekiel Elliott. So it's going to be a heck of a test to see that. Now let's say, Luke, the, the Buccaneers do lose at home on Monday night. Is this the last time we'll see Brady – in a in a Buccaneers jersey, and do you think next year he might pop up in a Dolphins, 49ers, Raiders, or even maybe a Patriots jersey? You know, I, I think it's probably still 50-50 if I had to guess that he'll be here or somewhere else, whether that's retired or, or on another team. I think if I had to stack it a little more specifically, I think that it's probably more likely that he would, if he's going to play, I still think it makes the most sense to do it in Tampa because if you're going to try to run it back and run and win a Super Bowl or or be competitive for another year, doing it in a place where you've been for three years now, you have look at who's going to be back this year. I know they got to make some tough decisions with some other free agents, but Mike Evans is still going to be there. Chris Godwin's still going to be there. You're going to have Tristan Wirfs and Donovan Smith and and Ryan Jensen, your Pro Bowl center, will be back at full strength. He's practicing already, by the way, this week, and there's a small chance he could actually play Monday night. Um, after having that knee injury back in, uh, in July. Um, but there's so much stability 
that Tom Brady will have in Tampa Bay and so much familiarity and continuity. And those are words that if you listen to him closely over the last few years, even throughout his career, he has talked so much about the importance of those things in terms of being able to be a winning football team. So if I look at a guy who's going to be 46 years old going into his 24th NFL season, if he's going to play next year, it makes so much more sense to do it in a place where, A, he knows he can win because he's already done it. He's won a Super Bowl here. Most of those key players are going to be back next year. And if you go if you go anywhere else, you go to Miami, you go to San Francisco, you go to Las Vegas, you go to New England again, like you're starting over in some way. And obviously some of those franchises would be bigger, a bigger start over than others. But you're a whole new team, a whole new group of teammates, a whole new offensive scheme. A whole new, you know, and obviously if you go to the Raiders, you have some familiarity with the offense with, John, with McDaniels. You go to New England, you've got some familiarity with with that team and that coaching staff to a degree. But I just, I don't know, man. If, if he's going to play again, it doesn't make much sense for me to see him at this point in his career, at his age, to try to go start over again somewhere else for a year or two instead of giving the Bucks another another year and, and, and trying to do it that way. So, which if he comes back, it'll actually be cheaper for the Bucks than if he leaves. So he'll actually save them some cap space if he comes back instead of having to pay out all the dead money from the other years on his contract. So uh, I think it, it makes it'll make sense if he walks away. It'll make sense if he comes back. If he does come back, I still think it's more likely that he does it in Tampa Bay than anywhere else. All right, I see what you're saying, but if I'm going, if I'm Tom Brady and I'm looking at Miami with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. That's uh, that's something I'd be salivating over as a quarterback. But yeah, that's going to be a big story all offseason. The Buccaneers come into this game as three-point dogs. How do you like this one going? I'm not putting any money on this whatsoever. And that, <laughs> that is because of both teams. I think both teams this year have had stretches where we've seen glimpses. I Again, I talked about the Cowboy, or the uh, the Bengals game for the Bucs and the, and the Panthers game at the end there. They've been spurts where they've looked like, okay, there's the Super Bowl champion. There's the team that we think they can be. Dallas has been the same way. I feel like they've had longer stretches, obviously, where they've had some complete games where they've looked really, really dominant this season for four quarters. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't know that if you watched them this weekend against Washington, right? They looked awful against Washington They on both sides of the ball. The defense wasn't making enough plays um, against a rookie quarterback making his first start. And Sam Howell, he was gashing them for big plays down the field. Um, you had Dak Prescott again with the turnovers. The run game was, was not working at all. So there's both of these teams are so much about them that we still don't know what to expect that I, I just wouldn't be comfortable putting any money on this whatsoever. You'd think it'd be an easy call for the Dallas Cowboys, right? You've got the 12 and five team against the team of the losing record. That should be an easy call, right? But you know, if you watched again, both of these teams play for diff, depending on the game you pick, you could say, Oh, that's a Super Bowl champion or, Oh, that team's got to have the number one pick in the draft. They look so bad. So I'm staying away from this one as a better. Um, but hopefully again, it's Monday night. It's the star against the goat. You've got all the reasons that this is going to be a primetime game and the last game on the wild card slate for a reason. It's going to have all eyes on them. Hopefully the fans get an entertaining game or the Bucks blow them out. I'll take it either way. <laughs> all right. Last question. Since you're not going to pick that one, I'll give you maybe one that's a little bit easier. If you had to take just one Florida NFL team this upcoming weekend, the Jaguars, the Dolphins, or the Buccaneers, who are you taking to win their game? I'm taking the Jags easy. Um, you know, they get the home game and they don't have any pressure. You know, they, they, again, you know, the Bucks will have l a little bit of that because they're the team with the losing record. So I think people expect Dallas to win, but they've still got Tom Brady. They still got enough talent. I feel like there's some pressure on them there to, to maximize that. Jacksonville, everybody's just going to be like, hey, they're happy to be here. They won the, the AFC South 
Um, they made the playoffs. That's their seasons of victory already, right? But you've got a Chargers team coming to town that, yeah, they got Justin Herbert, but they're banged up. They had some some injuries on Sunday in a game that really didn't matter in the seeding. So there's some questions there for Brandon Staley, the Chargers coach. Mike Williams is banged up now. Joey Bosa is banged up. You know, the offensive line has been banged up already all season. So the defense hasn't played as well as it's supposed to. So I, I feel like I'm most comfortable with that crowd in Jacksonville being excited to have a home playoff game for the first time in a long time. The Chargers coming in there, they're going to have a, a pretty stiff challenge. Miami going to cold Buffalo, I don't like that very much. Again, the, the Bucks and Cowboys could go either way. I really like the Jaguars to win this game against the Chargers on Sunday. What a funny league the NFL is. Imagine if one year ago someone would have said to you after the Urban Meyer debacle, the Jaguars, all three would be in the playoffs and the Jags would have the best chance to win. <laughs> Hey, I love it. It's almost like removing Urban Meyer from a situation makes everything better, that much better. It's ridiculous. <laughs> well, that is hilarious, Luke. We look forward to seeing your work here. As you uh, Again, you work for USA Today and BucksWire.com, and we can follow along with you on social media where? Oh, it's pretty simple. It's just at Luke Easterling, just like it sounds. Uh, and again, at the BucksWire, at the DraftWire, if you're a fan of another team and want to see what your team's up to in the draft. All right. And if the Buccaneers do win, we will be talking with you again next week. Hey, here's hoping, man. All right, Luke. Thanks a lot. And we'll talk to you soon. Okay, let's turn our attention to those Cinderella Jaguars. First, let me welcome in Demetrius. Demetrius, thanks for joining me for the second podcast in a row. Absolutely. No problem. Yeah, it's been a heck of a season covering this team. When they were at four and eight following that Lions loss, did you even have an inkling that they could run off five straight wins and win the division while Tennessee was losing seven in a row? Absolutely not. And I'll call anyone a liar if they say that um, they had what's happened, um, you know, in their minds after that Lions loss. I thought, um, like anybody else, naturally sort of four and eight. Um, I think Tennessee might have been seven and four at that time or, or you know, something like that. They They weren't on their sort of terrible run at that point. Or at least we 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 didn't think they were. So um, the Jaguars lost terribly. They they couldn't live up to the expectations. You know after that Baltimore win, um, you know Trevor Lawrence. We actually didn't even know if he was going to be good or not. You know obviously he came back into that game, but you didn't know how bad that foot injury was. At at, at first they thought it was a knee, and then it was a foot, and then it was a, a, a toe. Um, so yeah, absolutely not. I couldn't have, have envisioned that they would be able to pull off this type of run, but they really have. And, and it's been, you know, a tremendous effort by obviously, you know, Doug Peterson and, and the entire team just to be able to rally the troops like he has. Um, it's just remarkable. I, I, just, I just couldn't have envisioned it. Yeah. I mean, the offense, quite frankly, played its worst game since that Lions game uh, this past weekend when they you know, barely got by the Tennessee Titans to win the AFC, and they can certainly thank special teams and defense for that. You know, what happened in that game? The offense had been looking so good. They had been clicking. Trevor Lawrence was very mundane. The running game was non-existent. What do you think happened in that game? Was it just kind of the jitters of of what was going on? Or, you know, how did you see it? Yeah, I mean, a, a couple of things happened, and uh, obviously the Jaguars couldn't run the football at all. I mean, they had 19 total yards. It's their fewest um, yards total on the ground in a win in history. Um, so basically that shouldn't have, have even happened. They should have lost that game. Um, what really occurred, though, was 
the time of possession, I don't know um, how many people realize this, but uh, by the time the first half was over, I believe the Jags only had three possessions, and they might have had a couple in the second half. I mean, there weren't very many opportunities. They they fumbled the football um, on one of those possessions. They punted on another. I mean, they were down 10-0 for a reason. It was just that the Titans were able to control the game in a way where it, it mitigated what the Jags offense could even do. They couldn't get into a rhythm because of the turnover on the football. And then obviously the Titans just held the ball for, for just so long. So 36 minutes for the Titans, 23 minutes. And that counts the, the kneel downs at the end for the Jaguars. So um, it was just a, a, a perfect storm for the Titans to actually steal one there. And uh, they just couldn't come through. So, you know, it was just a credit to the Jaguars defense, I guess, and a credit to their special teams too. Yeah, it was a heck of a Saturday night win. Let's look at what happened Sunday against their now upcoming opponent, the Los Angeles Chargers. The Ravens lost earlier in the day, which means the Chargers were locked into that number five spot. Yet most of their starters were out there, and you see Mike Williams leave with an apparent back injury. Joey Bosa, who had only played two games after coming off surgery for a groin injury, and he may have re-aggravated that. And Staley still, you know, he said he stands behind his action to play those guys what did you make of that and uh you know what the first time around when they played in week three and we'll talk about that game in a minute but they didn't have Keenan McCardell for that game but they had Mike Williams now it might be vice versa so what do you think of what happened there with the Chargers yesterday yeah I, I was confused just like everybody else you know the Chargers were locked into the fifth seed they can't get any better they can't get any worse so I mean frankly they didn't have anything to play for I, I guess other than just beating the Broncos, which, I mean, everybody had them winning anyway, um, it, it really didn't make any sense. I mean, Justin Herbert played 81% of the snaps. Um, you had guys out there that, you know, frankly, you know, if they got hurt, their season's over. Like, if Justin Herbert had gotten hurt during that game, you know, who would have had them beating the Jaguars this week? No one. Um, so it, it was just a, a, a weird move for them to do it because I don't really necessarily see that any um, – great benefit to playing your guys. I mean, you could just have, you know, an extra rest. Um, like you said, Mike Williams got hurt. Um, who knows how, how the back injury is going to affect his ability to suit up this week. But I mean, if he can't go against the Jaguars, that's, that, that's huge for them. And then obviously Kenan Allen coming back, um, they didn't have to face him, him last time. So, you know, that, that's definitely going to be a threat, but yeah, I just, I didn't think that it was something that Staley should have done. I thought that obviously you would want to rest your guys. Even the Jaguars, um, the week of the of the Texans game, they still had some stuff to play for, but they rested guys after they were up. You know, I think it was twenty three to to three at that point. You know, something like that. Uh, so it, it's 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 a situation where you know you don't expect it, but I guess that's just the route he went. Yeah, and you know what? The first time around when these teams played, they played in week three out in Los Angeles. The Jaguars won 38-10. to 10. Now again, there were a lot of injury problems with Los Angeles then as well. I mean, you look at Justin Herbert, he was playing through a really bad rib injury that he had suffered just 10 days prior. He really struggled. The Jaguars defense, that was kind of one of their real coming out parties, although they just shut the Colts out the prior week. So I think people realized that this team was a lot better. So coming into this game, it's a one-point spread in favor of the Chargers, so it's essentially a push. What what matchups do you like here, and how do you see this one playing out this Saturday night? Yeah, I mean, I, I still like how what the Jaguars were able to do the first go-around. I think that they relied on their ground game a bit. Obviously, it wasn't the best showing out of ETN. He only had 3.5 yards per carry, 
Um, but you know, James Robinson at that time, when, when, when he was with the team, he was able to take off on a, on a 50 yard, um, rushing touchdown that sort of turned the tide in the way of, you know, a blowout win for the Jaguars. I think that, um, making sure that they can go ahead and, and, and run the football against this Chargers team, which isn't that great against the run. Um, that's sort of the, the, the gold this week, Travis Etienne, Obviously didn't have a great game on Saturday against the Titans. I think that that's something they're going to have to exploit um, moving forward. Then uh, the last thing is sort of just Trevor, obviously. You know, he has to be able to um, throw the ball well. You know, he hasn't really gotten into that rhythm the past few games. Even that Houston game, he had a few off-target throws. Against the Titans, obviously, he was off-target. You know, the one to Zay Jones stands out, or the one that didn't go to Zay Jones, I should say, stands out. So um, those are the type of matchups that you're going to watch. And then on defense, just um, I think the Jaguars' defense is sort of coming into their own at the perfect time. They have to keep applying pressure to a quarterback. Um, Justin Herbert is no longer dealing with basically broken ribs. Um, so, you know, he's going to be able to scramble around a little bit more than 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 they're used to, you know, from, from week three. Um, but I think that, you know, they match up pretty well against the Chargers offense as long as uh, they can just sort of keep Austin Eckler at bay. Yeah, I have a feeling one of the reasons this game drew that primetime Saturday night spot, obviously, is your quarterback. So you have Trevor Lawrence, budding star, finally living up to what people had hoped. You've got Justin Herbert. He was second in the league in passing yards this year. And, you know, now look at the rest of the teams in the playoffs. Patrick Mahomes with the Chiefs, Joe Burrow with the Bengals, Josh Allen with the Bills, and then the other two playoff teams, the Dolphins and Ravens, they'll be without their starters. But Tua had an incredible year, obviously very injury prone, and Lamar Jackson is a former MVP. So when you look around the AFC, the strength of the quarterbacks and and the guys that are playing, when you hear those names, what do you think about the future and how tough is it going to be for the Jaguars to maintain this? Because it is a bright future, but when you look at those other guys around, we're in for a fun decade of football. Oh my goodness, yes. The the AFC are the kings of the quarterback. I mean, if you look at the NFC side, I mean, who who can you even name? You know, Dak Prescott, Jalen Hurts, and after that, I'm sort of lost. You know, Kyler Murray has been in that conversation, but not really. So this this, this AFC, um, you know, it, it's crazy how how good uh, or how talented these quarterbacks are within the AFC. Like you said, Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, um, Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Tua when when he's healthy and and and, and able, and then obviously Trevor Lawrence. So this is going to be. Um, you know, all these guys are really young. It's going to be a crazy, you know, decade of football. But I think the one thing Jaguar fans, you know, should should take solace in is you have one of those guys. I, I truly believe that. I think that um, Trevor Lawrence should be thought of just like a Joe Burrow, just like a a a um, a, a, a a Josh Allen or or a Patrick Mahomes or um, you know maybe not to the the highest tier of 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 how good those those guys are, but you know, at least, you know, in that same realm. So it's going to be a tough, tough sledding for the Jaguars to, you know, continue this run throughout the years, but at least they have their guy and they're not off searching like the Texans or the Colts or any other team. Nope, absolutely. And, and even their defense, I mean, look, Trayvon Walker, he played so well against Tennessee the other night. Obviously, Rayshon Jenkins, I think he deserves a few votes for MVP for the league because that guy, he's basically won two games for them. I know Josh Allen got the scoop and score, but Rayshon made that play happen. So, you know, this is, like I said, it's a one-point spread. It's at the bank, TIA Bankfield in Jacksonville. Who do you like in this game on Saturday night? 
Yeah, it's tough. It's, it's so early in the week. I wasn't wasn't expecting the prediction, but um, it it, it it's going to be a, a a close one. I I don't think that either team um will pull away that early. I think it's going to come down to the wire again for this Jaguar team. I, if I had to choose a score right now, and it might change later in the week, but but I think that the the Jags can pull it out. I think they'll win twenty eight to. 24 something like that i think it's going to be a close game i think that um they're just going to pull pull it out of their hat just like they have you know the past you know several games so um it's going to be interesting but 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 i like the jags in this one do you think the jaguars become the biggest fans of the miami dolphins because let's say they upset the bills it would be the dolphins getting the chiefs instead of the jaguars if the jaguars win Absolutely. I think that that's <laughs> that's a situation where, you know, on on one hand, they have played at Kansas City already before um, they played OK during that game. It could have been a lot worse. Um, but, you know, absolutely. I mean, you don't want to have to face Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs if you can help it. Um, so, you know, being able to go up to Cincy or wherever they would go at that point um, would probably be a plus. Yeah, absolutely. But again, so many good teams. It's going to be fun to watch. Last question for you, Demetrius, because I think that this is kind of funny. Prior on the show, I had uh, Joe Shad from the Palm Beach Post who covers the Dolphins. And I had Luke Easterling who covers the Buccaneers for BucksWire.com and USA Today. And I asked them, out of the three teams in the state that are in the playoffs, whose chances do you like to win their game on Saturday or Sunday or Monday? Because we've got one game each day. And I asked them who they like best, and both of them said that they would take the Jaguars. So my question to you, Dimitri, is considering you've covered this team for years, had someone 365 days ago come to you and said all three state teams would make the playoffs and the Jags would have the best chance to win, how would you? what type of look would you have given me? I would have probably just had a blank stare and probably walked away from that conversation because <laughs> there would have been no way, no way I would have been able to predict this. I don't think anybody had like seen saw this coming unless you're just a diehard Homer, you know, fan. Um, you know, there, there's it's it's incredible what what they've done, and I agree. I think that the Jags are um, the most likely out of all three of those teams, considering the matchups, to be able to advance to the next round, and that's just incredible. I also think that for fans who are watching this game, and I know uh, I was talking to somebody who turned the game off in the third quarter the other night just expecting the Jaguars to lose. If the Jaguars are down by 7 or 10 or 13 points, do not turn the television off because all they do is come back late. Look at Dallas. Look at the Raiders. Look at the Ravens. Look at the Titans. So, you know, Demetrius, we, we can't have anybody turning off, can they? No, no, absolutely not. You got to keep it going throughout the entire time. I was actually driving in and, and and listening to the radio and a fan got on there and said that there was a guy in his section um, that was trying to to, you know, leave during the third quarter. I guess that kind of that same sort of point where people thought that they would lose. And his daughter said, no, let's just stay. Let's just stay. So they stayed and they were able to see that incredible, you know, fun, fun ending. I mean, I can't I couldn't have predicted that that ending. So uh, definitely just stay and watch and and don't don't leave your TV screens. I think this is a different Jaguar team. I think there's always a chance when you have that kind of quarterback, when you have that opportunistic defense that they've been all season, um, there's always a chance. Alrighty, well, Demetrius, as always, I appreciate it, and I look forward to actually getting to sit in a press box with you as I'll be traveling up there to Jacksonville this weekend to watch that game. Absolutely, I can't wait.
All righty. Well, great. I appreciate it. Again, Demetrius Harvey, who works for the Florida Times Union in Jacksonville. You can read all of his stuff at jacksonville.com. And that's going to do it for this episode of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. I'm Tim Walters. And to quote Hall of Fame quarterback Troy Aikman, the thing I've always liked about the playoffs is the finality of it and knowing there's so much importance on every play. Yes, there is, Troy. Thanks for listening and join us again next week. Yeah.